We are, last time, I think about a month ago, uh, we started our series in First Thessalonians and kicked it off. We got a little introduction of First Thessalonians. If you guys weren't here for that introduction, uh, it was, um, it is online. I, I've been recording myself in all the sermons and, and, and I'm hoping throughout this entire series it will continue to be posted online. So if you guys missed out on that. But just a little recap. Uh, we're, we're in First Thessalonians. This is one of the earlier letters that Paul has written. Um, and he wrote to the church in Thessalonica, and he wrote to them um, mainly because he was worried about where they were at spiritually. And so as a, because he had to leave the city of Thessalonica early, uh, he was forced out because of persecution. He sent Timothy back. Um, and as he sent Timothy back, he sent Timothy back in order to get a report on the church. How are they doing? Uh, he was worried about them. And when Timothy sent his report back to Paul, Paul was so moved by the report, saw how well the church was doing that he penned this letter to them. And so this letter is a very encouraging letter because of the positive report that Paul received. And so then what we have here is encouragement from Paul, encouragement to continue striving forward in their faith. And today, tonight, what we're going to look at is we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Verses 2 to 10, here we have an example of Paul's thanksgiving, his natural, immediate response to this report that he received from Timothy. And so, it's a report of thanksgiving. I mean, what were some things that you guys might be thankful for? We just finished the Christmas season, and we, we went through all that. We went through New Year's, and I'm sure you guys had a good break. If you guys had a break, if you guys had to work during Christmas, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> But what's, what, what are some things that you might have been thankful for towards the end of your year? Maybe it was a gift that you received from Christmas, something, an item that you talked about all year. Um, and, and you received it, and you couldn't believe that you know, someone remembered that you talked about it. Maybe you're just thankful for your friends and family, how they've been through you, been with you through a tough year. And, and remembering all these things, maybe you're just simply thankful for God. For how he's always been there, how he's faithful. But here we look at this text, as we're going to look at it later tonight. Paul here is thankful to God for others, for their blessings, for the immense faith that they display, for how God has blessed them tremendously in their lives. How many times have we prayed Thanksgiving for other people? for how God's working in them. Paul does this consistently. In, in, in many of his epistles, he gives thanks to God for whatever church he's writing to. And, and that's exactly what he's doing here. He's, he, he, his immediate response, his immediate heart for the Thessalonians is this immense thankfulness of how God has kept their faith strong. And what we see here, what we see here in this text, what we see here, what, what Paul is witnessing, hearing back from the Thessalonians, is this real-life actualization of what it means to be light in this world. What it means to live out our testimonies before others. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. He calls us light of the world. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, 
nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus' people, us, Christians, the church, we are meant to be lights that shines forth into the darkness. We're meant to be lights that reveal the glory of God. And so, what, and so what that means is that we are to be lights in this world through the saving work of God in our lives. And that's actually the big idea for tonight. I'm going to start that off, start the message off with the big idea. That we become lights of the world through the saving work of God and the resulting fruits of our salvation. And that's what we are all called to be. That's what Paul is called to be. And that's what the Thessalonian church is called to be. Paul saw this play out. And he gives thanks to God. He gives thanks to God for this fruitful faith that the Thessalonians displayed. How exactly did the Thessalonians display their faith? That's what we're going to look at tonight. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians. Let's go to chapter 1. And I'm going to read for us verses 2 to 10. This is the Word of God I'm reading from the ESV. Paul here writes, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of man we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received a word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Here Paul presents the heart of the pastor, giving thanks to God, praying for the Thessalonians. And even though Paul's time was cut short, Paul was still shepherding this church through prayer. And here what we see is, is this fruit of their salvation. That Paul, when he heard back his report, he heard back all the fruits of the gospel. That the seed that he planted in them, God allowed that to grow and to flourish and to thrive. And Paul here, he writes and he gives thanks to God because he remembers the Thessalonians and he sees their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope. That's what we read in verse 3. And what we find here, we find faith, love, and hope. The three key virtues of the Christian faith. 
the three dominant fruits of the Spirit. We, we, we read this in other places. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, not, not verse 3. Uh, verse 13, Paul lists these three attributes together. Right? And he says, calls them faith, love, and hope abounds. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 5 to 6, Paul speaks of these three fruits as assurances for our faith, our identity in Christ. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22-24, the author there urges the believers to spur each other on in these three virtues. And so what we have here is we have faith, love, and hope as the three legs, the tripod upon which our confidence and our salvation it stands upon those three attributes. And this is what Paul here is speaking of. He's speaking here of evidences of their faith. In verse 4, Paul notices, notes, that they are saved, chosen by God, elect, because they demonstrated faith, love, and hope. And so we see here, we see it stems from their election, that, that this is no mere work of man, that this is not just us producing these things. Nobody can do that. This is the work of the Spirit, convicting them of the truth. This is God calling His lost sheep, and the sheep responding to His voice. In John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus says this. He says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you may go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. What we have here is we have then these fruits of faith, love, and hope being blossomed in their lives because of their faith in God, but mainly because God chose them and He loved them. Look again at verse 3. Verse 3 here, Paul here doesn't just describe faith, love, and hope as three abstract characteristics. We aren't just dealing with thoughts and emotions. We're dealing here with Attributes that are outwardly displayed for all to see. The emphasis here isn't on the internal motivation. The emphasis here is on the external display. It is a work produced by faith. It's a labor prompted by love. And it's a steadfastness or endurance that's inspired by hope. In other words, this is the clear working of God in your lives. Paul has full confidence, full confidence that the Holy Spirit here is working in them. Again, remember, Paul left Thessalonica not on his own will. He, he had to leave quickly in the night, silently, discreetly. The Jews there, they, they hated his message and they ran him out of town. And so he left. And he left knowing that this, these believers, these recently new converts, they're left with the wolves. What's going to happen to them? They're vulnerable. They're vulnerable to persecution. Vulnerable to deception. And so Paul here, later in the letter, when he, as he's penning first Thessalonians, he describes himself as a mother and a father to these Thessalonians. And, and just imagine what it must have been like for his heart. Imagine being a parent to a set of newborns, a set of infants, when all of a sudden, without warning, you're taken away, maybe by the government and the children 
are just left behind. Imagine the pain, the agony that Paul must have felt when he left Thessalonica. There's no wonder then that when Paul heard Timothy report why he was so thankful, why he was so thankful to God, because it's only by the power of God that the church of Thessalonica survived. Not only did they survive, but they thrived despite all the hardships they must have faced. There can be no other explanation but God. I mean, if you take away the founder from the startup, that startup is going to collapse. You take away the president or the prime minister of a government, that, that government system is going to fall down. And yet here in Paul's absence, his absence without any known shepherd, any known leader present, this church survives and it grows in their faith. It grows in their faith, in their love, and in their hope. Only God can do such a thing. I mean, guys, if you are saved, remember that it is God who chose you, and it's God who will keep you. And it's God who will continue to work in your life so that your faith, your love, and your hope can thrive as well. Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 37, all, the, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. We have here the great faithfulness of our God, keeping us, never letting us go. It is God who chose them. It is God who strengthened them. I mean... Remember, this is an early letter. And so upon hearing this, this, upon hearing the testimony of their faith, of how God has been working their lives, no wonder when Paul started penning Romans there on his life, why he can write something like this. Romans chapter 8, verse 38. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In the mid-1900s, Missionaries in China were all kicked out, forced out. China had to close their doors. Well, not had to. They, they decided to close their doors because of the Cultural Revolution. And they kicked out all the missionaries. And all the local pastors, all the local Christian leaders, they were persecuted, imprisoned, sometimes even executed. And all the Chinese Christians, the church went underground. And for years, 30 years, no one outside China knew what was going on with the church there. Imagine all the missionaries leaving their newly found disciples and they have no idea how they're doing. And all they hear about is persecution. When China finally opened up its doors again, the missionaries started going back in, started seeing, you know, where are the churches still around? These missionaries, they quickly found that the Chinese church not only survived, but they thrived. They were growing. The persecution only brought more opportunities for these local Christians to spread the gospel. It's an amazing testimony of God, of His faithfulness. God continues to work even today in our lives. God is faithful. Those whom He elects, He will never let go. 
So guys, hold on to that truth. Let that truth be the bedrock upon which your salvation stands upon. Because for though our faith may fail, He will hold us fast. Going back to our passage. Again, the focus here is on these external fruits that are being displayed. They can be seen clearly for all people. These Christians, they're light of the world. These fruits are not hidden. These fruits are on full display like crown jewels in a glass box. And and what exactly did, did Paul then hear that affirms his confidence of their salvation? What are a few things? What we see here, starting in verse 5. We see here, first of all, that their faith was strong in the midst of suffering. In verse 6, verse 6, it says that, that they received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Paul here knows that they became imitators of him and of his fellow ministers. Paul was an example of faith to them. He lived it out. Even though he was persecuted, even though he was being mocked and traced out by the Jews, he demonstrated his faithfulness, his steadfastness and hope for them. And the Thessalonians imitated that. They imitated Paul and they, and they persevered in their trials as well. And here we see an example of their work of faith. That despite the persecutions they faced, the church still stood strong. And they stood strong, not with grim faces. They didn't just clench themselves and wait for it to be all over. Instead, they went through life. And they did it with joy. Now, the passage here doesn't necessarily give us in detail exactly what that looked like. What exactly they do? What, what does a joyful endurance look like? But we know that it wasn't, it wasn't hidden. It was displayed. Because it says later that they became an example. They became an example to all the believers, to all the churches in Macedonia and Achaia. And not only there, but even beyond that. The news was so widespread that all the early Christians heard about it. Paul didn't even need to say a word. These testimonies, they were trendy. They were nonstop. And then we hear about their love for God. Paul here, he, he, he mentions their love in two different ways. First, in a way that they welcome Paul, Silas, and Timothy into their homes. Verse 9, they themselves report concerning us the kind of recession we had among you. Remember that, again, this group of ministers, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they came... They came from Philippi where they were imprisoned and, and the Jews hated them there. And they came under persecution to Thessalonica. And as they came there, as they came there, Paul always makes the custom of preaching to the Jews first. And so the Jews were really, the Jews there heard the gospel and they did not like it. And then Paul then continues to preach. And it's these Gentiles, these Thessalonian Gentiles who accepted Paul in the gospel, despite the fact that all the Jewish people were against Paul, against his message. And yet, these Thessalonians welcomed Paul in. 
they welcomed him in with open arms. You gotta remember back then, one thing to note, that back then there wasn't necessarily hotels you'd check into. I mean, there were some here and there that you, that you could, but, but that wasn't necessarily the custom. The custom was that when a, when a traveler came into town, they depended upon the hospitality of the local people. And so, if you didn't like the traveler or the message they brought or the things they had, you just don't welcome them in. But these Thessalonians, Gentiles, they welcomed Paul and the gospel. They welcomed them into their home. They received them. They loved them. And so here they displayed their love for God's people. But secondly, the Thessalonians also displayed their labor of love and how they turned from idols to serve the true and living God. They turned from idols to serve God. Here's a sign of true conversion. Idols here. In verse 9, idols here, they're they're, they're just inanimate man-made gods. They're a representation of this world. But the true and living God is the uncreated one, the sovereign Lord over all things. In other words, you cannot love both. You can only love one or the other. If you love one, you hate the other. So here we see that the Thessalonians, they casted away their idols and turned their love towards God. This wasn't just an attitude change. This was a lifestyle change. Their habits, their actions, their speech, all of it changed when they turned their love towards God. And finally, the reports of the Thessalonians also contain information of their steadfastness of hope. And here their hope was described as this active anticipation for Christ's return. In other words, they had hope in Christ. We'll find out later in our series that their hope in Christ was a little bit misunderstood. Paul had to teach them, correct them. But nonetheless, they still had hope. They had this unwavering confidence, the steadfast endurance of this hope. And why is that? Well, look at verse 10. It's the gospel. They heard, they believed that God raised his son from the dead. The resurrection, guys, is so important to us. It is not just a metaphor for God's victory over death. The resurrection is a symbol of hope for a time when we too will be raised up with Christ, when we will be raised up to join Him in the new heavens and earth. We hope in Christ because without Christ, our future is bleak. All humans are born under sin. All humans are born under condemnation. We, you, were born under condemnation. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3 says, We were all once children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, the God who chose us in Christ, rescued us from His own wrath. So then, Jesus here delivers, delivers His people from the wrath to come, delivers His people from 
from God's wrath. He does that by laying down His life for His sheep. Jesus says, instead of the wrath coming upon you, I will take it. I will take upon the wrath that you deserve. Whoever the Father gives to Jesus, Jesus will never lose because He laid out His life for all of us. And so Jesus laid out His life. He sealed our salvation by His blood. And we have then this great and wonderful truth, this gospel of hope. This is why we can endure in our walks. This is why we can endure through our trials. Why we can continue to live our lives out obediently and faithfully is because we have been bought by the blood of Christ. It is so good to know that our Savior loves us so that He will give up His life for us. So then, returning back to the big idea, we become lights of the world through the saving work of God and the resulting fruits of our salvation. Here, this big idea is being played out by the Thessalonians. They were lights of the world because their light shined out. And as their light shined out, the people saw their good works and the people glorified God. The fruit of the Thessalonians' salvation brought many, even the Apostle Paul, to praise and give thanks to God. Their faith, their love, their hope are all evidence that their faith, their love, their hope was the light that shines forth. So then, so then there are then three application, three application questions that I want us to to ask ourselves from this passage. And first and foremost, I want us to ask ourselves this. Do you show fruit in your life? Do you demonstrate the same faith, love, and hope of your salvation? Don't take this question lightly. You see, I, I understand our salvation is, is internal. It says that it starts with us believing. It starts with us saying, yes, I believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died for me and that he rose again in victory over my sin. But our salvation, our internal salvation was never meant to stay internal. Our salvation was meant to be displayed externally. That's what Jesus continues to tell us. When he's, when he's telling us what it means to follow him, this is what he's saying, that it is our very lives that will look different. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Luke chapter 14, verse 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. This is the cost of what it means to follow Christ. But what is demonstrating here is that our lives will be radically changed. It will look completely different than what it was before. Our internal faith must produce these external fruits. 
when Jesus says later, John chapter 15, verse 8, he says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. But also recognize that the fruits that we bear are also for you. They're also for us, personally. Again, John chapter 15, verse 8, when, he, when Jesus says, you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples, that's what it means when he says we're to examine ourselves so we can prove and, and have confidence that we are his disciples. The external fruit we display is meant to affirm the eternal salvation we have in Christ. In 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, the Apostle Peter writes this, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Peter here, what he's saying, he's not saying that we, are, we can fall under your salvation. What, what he's doing instead is he's, he's encouraging us. He's urging us to say, practice these qualities. Practice these things. Demonstrate your faith, your love, and your hope in your lives. So that when you see these fruits grow in your life, it gives you assurance that God indeed is working in your heart. And changing you. It gives us confidence to live obediently. It gives us hope to continue to have faith in God. And ultimately, this is what Paul is exhorting for the Thessalonians as well. As much fruit as he has heard and seen from them, his letter here, his when he, what he's writing here to the Thessalonians is an urge to remain pure and to live faithfully. He wants them to continue striving forward to run this race well. Second application question is, do you set an example of faith? Do you set an example for others? Notice the progression of discipleship in 1 Thessalonians. At the end of verse 5, we have here, the Thessalonians seeing and knowing what kind of man Paul was, what kind of man Silas was, what kind of man Timothy was. These three men demonstrated their faith. They demonstrated the gospel to show these Thessalonians what it looks like to live faithfully. And their fruits were encouragement to the Thessalonians. And then in verse 6, right after that, it says that the Thessalonians imitated them. And as a result of all that, the Thessalonians themselves became an example for believers to follow. And even today, right now, the fact that all this was written down in the inspired word of God, these Thessalonians are examples to us. How do you disciple others? How do you mentor others? Discipleship is, is more than just explaining scripture to them. It's more than just having a meal and a conversation. Discipleship involves setting an example for other people to follow. And I know we know this, but let's, let's think 
critically about how we tend to live in this world. Let's think critically about our, even our own culture. Our culture today has a high emphasis on individual, individuals and privacy. I'm not saying that those things are wrong, but there's a high value in those things that we experience in our culture. And many times because of that, our, our lives are hidden away. You know, Facebook, Instagram, those aren't representation of our lives. Therefore, are you willing to invite others to see your life? I mean, seeing both your strength and your weaknesses. Seeing that even though you struggle, God is still faithful. Are you willing to demonstrate that for other people to see? How you're continuing to hold on to God in your life. The fruit of our salvation is not meant to be hidden. They're meant to be displayed in community with one another for the world to see our faith, our love, and our hope. That all the trials you face, all the pain that we feel, all the struggles that we have of our sins, they're all meant to be a demonstration of God's grace and power. The Apostle Paul didn't hide his life. He spoke openly about his struggles. But as he did, he also pointed to God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, Paul writes, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this thorn on my side, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You wonder what it means when Paul says to boast in the Lord and he tells us to do the same? It means to boast in our weaknesses so that God's power can be demonstrated in us for others to see. So let your light shine forth that all may see your good works, meaning your faith in God, your hope in God, so that they can glorify not you, but God and how he's working in your life. The last question, do you live in a way that proclaims the gospel? Note again here in 1 Thessalonians, in verse 8, in verse, in verse 8 it says that the word of the Lord sounded forth from you everywhere. Now, I don't think the Thessalonians necessarily sent out missionaries. That's, I don't think that's what this text means that the context of all this is really talking about the faithfulness of the Thessalonians and the report of their, their endurance through, the, through their trials. But their, their obedience, their steadfast endurance, all that proclaimed the gospel, it demonstrated the gospel. It showed how the gospel was evident in their lives. At the end of the day, it's still the word of the Lord that's being declared being sounded forth from them. Our lives must represent the message of the gospel as well. Yes, we must evangelize through our words. Yes, we must continue to be boldly talking about the gospel, talking about Christ with others. But does your lifestyle back up that message? Does it back up that I mean, you think about like an athletic trainer. If that athletic trainer is overweight, you wouldn't listen to him or her. Why would anyone follow Christ if your life doesn't match up to what you're saying 
the message we carry is a life-changing one. It should change us so that we no longer serve the idols of the world, that the money, the fame, the success, the stuff that we want, all of that, we cast away, push it aside for the sake of serving God. Your life should be radically different than everyone else. Do people see that fruit of your conversion? So here, Paul writes all this. He's so thankful for what the Thessalonians are doing. And I want to end the message with, with the heart that Paul here has for this church. He's overjoyed hearing about their faith. He's overjoyed hearing how they have endured through their trials. In similar ways, I encourage you to look around this room right now. Look around the people you have in your lives. Are you encouraged by all of them? We're all young adults. We're here in this fellowship and this fellowship is calling transit. It's because no one here is really settled. We're moving. We're still figuring out our lives. Still figuring out where we're going to be. Figuring out our careers. Some of, us, some of us want to be here. Some of us want to be here for life. That's great. But we, we also know that God can take us anywhere, anytime. And we experience that. We see that people go in and out. People travel. People move because of work, because of grad school, med school. People are constantly figuring out their lives right now. And some people may drop in. Some people may drop out. Even us pastors... You know, God may place a burden on our hearts to go somewhere else. And, you know, knowing the history of this church, at least for the past five years or so, some of you may experience that, how some pastors transition out. They transition out on good terms. We are encouraged by where they're going. But that doesn't mean it wasn't hard. It doesn't mean it wasn't hard for us to see our friends move away. People we're close to. People who, who discipled us, who shepherd us, people who walk with us in our lives, who we care about, who we have smoggers with, who we prayed with, who we shared our lives with. And, but here's the thing, even though we are separated, our, you, we know our hearts aren't necessarily divided from one another. We still stay connected. And when we do stay connected, when we hear these updates from one another and we hear not just what's going on in their lives, like if they had a new job and stuff like that, but, but really just how they're doing spiritually, do you rejoice in the same way? Do you hear all that same way? Can you give the same report to your friends who went away that you are doing well in the Lord? Because that, that is what we care about. That's what we want to hear. You know, I, I think sometimes working with the youth here at this church, working with the collegians, um, you just never know where they're going to be after they graduate. And many times when they move away and, we, and then maybe they come back and visit during holidays and just hear from the lives, we're, we're overjoyed to hear they're doing well, but we're also, no, we're broken. And we hear <clears throat> that they might have left the church, that maybe their faith are stagnant. 
Does your heart burn in the same way as Paul did for Thessalonians? And when he heard about their update, he rejoiced and gave thanks. Continue to strive for, guys. Not just encouragement for us, or for the people around you, but for those who, who you know who are far away. Be encouragements to them as well. But moreover, this is also the heart that Christ has for us. That Christ, even though he lives in our hearts, at this moment we are still separated from him. Right? That's why Paul says, to die is gain in Philippians. Because in death, we get to be with Christ, united with him. And therefore, Jesus Christ is currently awaiting our future arrival. And in the meantime, he wants to see the fruit of your faith and love and hope grow. That the work that we do is for his name. The endurance that we carry through our trials is by his strength. That Lord, that we can be his, his people, serving God, loving others. And after we run this waste well, when the fruit of our labor is finally exhausted, Christ will welcome us at his heavenly gates. And you'd be waiting to tell us, and he wants to tell us, he wants to tell you, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Let us continue to strive forward. Can we pray for us? Father, I thank you for your grace that continues to carry us no matter where we are. That, Lord, we may be at any place in this world, but we're never out of your reach. Lord, you are you're amazing. You are faithful. You are good. Lord, thank you. Thank you for continuing to be with us, to walk with us, to carry us, especially when we're down, especially when we're tired and we're weary, and all we do is feel the weakness of our hearts and the sins that we carry. Father, thank you for being able to bear, to be able to bear our burdens for us. Lord, may we rest upon you and continue then to exercise our faith in you. We continue to have our hope set upon you so that our love for you continues to grow. Lord, thank you for choosing us and saving us. That God, we are yours. So Lord, if we then carry on with confidence, carry on with confidence that God, you are with us and that you will complete what you started in us. Thank you, Lord, for all this. Pray for us that as we continue this night in fellowship and discussion, and Lord, we will continue to encourage one another and spur each other on in holiness and in faithfulness. Pray all this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Mm-hmm.